0: Welcome to the VoxGig podcast. We talk to people in the developer community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. For more details, visit voxgig.com podcast. All right, let's get started. In this episode, I talk to Kaylen King about how non-technical founders can find developers, build their MVP, and then scale that MVP Caelan is an angel and startup advisor and a founder. His previous startup, whatclinic.com, was an online marketplace for health services. And as he will tell you himself in this podcast, that is probably one of the most difficult types of business models to make work. We learn from Caelan how to manage the development of your technology when you are a non-technical founder. And there are two key lessons that come from this podcast. The first being, don't build anything. And the second being that an early stage startup should think about its positioning with respect to hiring software developers in the same way that it should think about its positioning when it comes to product. As a startup, you are always selling. And the most effective way to sell is to sell to a niche. Okay. Let's start the conversation, Kalen. It is fabulous to have you on today on the Fireside with Fox King
1: podcast. Welcome, sir. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks, Richard. Although I, I sometimes I wonder whether I'm really doing great or if it's just summer. Uh, but either way, I'm feeling good. Life is good right now. Uh, so good to see, good to see you again, Richard. Absolutely. I mean, the sun is shining in Ireland.
0: Everything is possible.
1: That's um, exactly right. It just changes everything.
0: But as a former colleague of mine, who was not Irish, said, "That's just Tuesday." <laughs> I'm um, we should get stuck in uh so let's talk about um doing a startup and building an mvp uh i'm going to set the scene a little first um so i'm a non-technical founder and i've reached out to you and i need some advice i'm a domain expert i know my industry really well i have an idea that makes sense um you know i've done a little bit of, of validation um got a little bit of money together and it's time to build that MVP. I've read all the stuff by Eric Reese and people like that about lean startups. I know I need to build an MVP. So I reach out to you and uh, we're sitting in, we're sitting at one of the tables in CHQ, outside Dogpatch in Dublin, the very center of Ireland's startup universe. And I tell you, I need to build an MVP. and I have no idea how to do it.
1: Um, What are my options? Look, first up, this is music to my ears. You know, a domain expert who knows the problem well, this is a great start. You know, Uh, it's a really good kind of uh, starting point. At the same time, here we have a a non technical founder who's looking to form a technology startup. Uh, And you kind of got, you know, you need to have some kind of knowledge yourself of technology if you're going to start a technology startup. Um, But uh, the, the, the main point here, I think, I'd say, is when as soon as we say we're going to build something, we got to recognize that inside our head we get a little dopamine hit, right? We get a little dopamine hit from whenever we're going to build something and wherever we're going to buy something, right? We get a little bit intoxicated by the idea of building, and so I'd really be pushing this this founder: Do you really need to build an MVP right now, right? And and do you really need to build as much as you think you need to build? I mean Eric Reese and all of that is really really valuable stuff right but you know Eric Reese came on the scene oh, something like 12 years ago right you know and the world has moved on very significantly from that from that time and what was an MVP back in Eric Reese's time can a lot of the time now be done through no code or low code environments and the amount of coding that you actually need to test a hypothesis can sometimes be zero. Uh, um, yeah. And so the, it, it would be to really tease out with that founder what is the utter minimum they can do in order to bring that company to the next to the next stage. And really frequently, that's a lot less than they think that they need. And I I, I think the key thing about that point, and I, I've seen this tragedy, and it
0: is a tragedy, play out with, with people that I've, I've advised and, and people that I've known and, and sort of seen over the years is... Somebody gets that initial bit of funding, which might be twenty grand of savings, or they might get a fifty k investment, or something like that. And then, you know, they allocate, let's say, twenty five to building the product, and that isn't enough. And then suddenly it's all gone, and they have a sort of a half baked thing built that they've outsourced, and they can't iterate any further, um, and they're kind of stuck. Uh, I think it's, I think that advice did not build. It's probably the most valuable advice you could give.
1: Um, yeah, because writing code is the single most expensive thing you'll ever do uh, in, in in your company, and and really you should do whatever you can to try and avoid doing it if you possibly can. And and you know the the most obvious thing is talk to the customers and don't build stuff that they don't want. Right, that's that's the most important thing. But it's amazing the number of people that don't do that. Right, they they. Soon as they get caught into that build mentality, they retreat into their turtle-like shell and they start building and they kind of go, right, we're in a six-week build cycle. All we can do really is sit on our hands and wait to the end of that six-week <coughs> build cycle. And then we put it in front of our customers and see if they like it or not. Right. And, you know, that idea is a kind of a nonsense. Uh, um, you know, every it's step is to, take- to be, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, When you bring your head in, put it into your cell, then you're emotionally protected, right? You've got this hard shell around you, and you can't get bad news because you've got this hard shell around you. Whereas in a startup, you need to race to bad news. If there's bad news there, I want to know it today, right? If I fail to know it today, I want to know it tomorrow. The last thing I want to do is put an artificial delay of six weeks to getting bad news.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, you don't. In terms of of non coding options to get to the bad news, right? To get to to get to know as quickly as possible. Um, if you're, it depends on how non technical you are, I guess. Uh, I mean, you have options for just putting up a landing page or a website with things like Wix and Squarespace and all these landing page providers, which you can probably which you can probably do yourself. And is that is that the preferred path?
1: I, okay, I, I mean. We're talking about the whole gamut of different startups here, mm. so it's not really possible to say what's the preferred path in a generality. I mean, we've got everything from deep tech all the way through to consumer uh, to consumer uh, options. However, in general, right, the what people miss from minimal viable product, right, is the word minimal and viable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, they generally get product right uh, um, uh, but in general it's never what's made is never minimal right and very frequently it's not it's not viable either right So the way I like to look at it is right at kind of early stages uh, uh, it's not so much that you need to build the minimum viable product. it's that you need to do the minimal possible thing that you can that moves the company to the next stage right And moving to the next stage could be, just that you've validated that someone will pay for something, right? And that might be just that you've got a prepayment done on the basis of a brochure that you've done up, right? That actually moves. If you take a company that's got taken in no money and you compare that to a company that's taken in a $1,000 prepayment, they're substantially different products. You've moved your company on really far forward. And you might have done that without a single line of code. You might have done that with just some brochureware. Now, I'm not saying that's appropriate all the time, right? But we have loads of tools for being able to test hypotheses that aren't code, right? They're either marketing, they're advertising, they're uh, no-code solutions, there's low-code solutions, there's um, you know, putting up a landing page and having the functionality being completed by you. I mean, this, 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 these ideas are as old as the hills. I remember back in the in the eighties, there was a, a scandal of uh, this computer program that could read uh, a radiology reports better than radiologists, and all they were doing in the back end was sending them off to India to radiologists in India that would do them up for a tenth of the price, and they were as good as. And and it was a scam because everyone thought it was uh, um, uh, it, it was a program doing it. But in terms of validating a process, that's a really good process. You know, you test that does the customer want the product that you want, and will the customer pay for the product that you want? And you've got no code written; you've got humans doing it in the back end.
0: Of course, you, you can go a little bit too far, right? So don't don't do a Theranos, right?
1: Uh, well, I mean that's at a different scale. Yeah,
0: it is absolutely. Let's break Let's break it down a little bit in terms of the the type of startup that you're doing. I think because I think that is relevant. My experience, my personal experience, is only with the B two B end of things, and I know you've done more more of the B two C stuff, or you've seen a lot these days because of, because of all the advice that you give. But in the B two B end of things, it's super easy in one sense because you don't even need a decent website. Yeah, it's very high touch. You, you can you can launch a product where it's basically a model in an in excel or something yeah uh, which relies on your domain experience um, but in b2c and i've helped build b2c mvps and and products for people it's
1: just way harder um i would i would almost say, don't do a b2c startup you know and and your advice might be good advice i mean if we look just at the statistics um, uh, b2b businesses tend to exit at a greater rate than B2C. Um, uh, so if you're just uh, betting it in a binary fashion of are you successful or are you not, you stand a much greater chance of being successful in B2B than you do in B2C. However, the exits in B2C tend to be larger than the ones in B2B. So in other words, you get far more modest successes in B2B, and you get far fewer but much bigger successes in, uh, in B2C. Um, But I do think sensible advice uh, is, well, a modest success is life-changing and uh, a massive success is far less life-changing. So the advice of, you know, don't really do B2C is not terrible advice uh, unless that person is has an unfair advantage in the B two C area. So, in other words, if they have a particular knowledge or a particular kind of cheat that they can bring into that market that gives them an unfair advantage compared to everyone else, the problem is every founder thinks they have an unfair advantage.
0: Yeah, yeah. As 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 you said to me when when we were talking a while back, I think I think I think you said, and it was it was it was it was a good point. You said you're you're you're, you're, you're too clever. You think you're too smart. <laughs> that stuck with me, and it was true. It was true. Uh, it probably still is. Um I, there's an there's an interesting variant um which which if if you're a domain expert uh, or you kind of know the market well seems to seems to work quite well and it's it's i think it's kind of one of your previous startups, what clinic kind of falls into this category uh, I'd be hesitant to say they're marketplaces, but they are startups where you're connecting a business with consumers in some sort of niche area, so you're dealing with both sides now. Am I right in saying that's a bit easier? Or you, having gone through it, would you say, actually, no, that's way harder?
1: I'd say it's way harder. But mind you, <laughs> I think every entrepreneur who's been through a journey says that their journey was way harder than anyone else's journey, uh, because it's impossible for them to imagine that other people's journey could be tougher. Right. Um, uh, so, of course, I'm biased on this matter. But marketplaces and, and effectively two-sided businesses, in my view, are two... Independent businesses that both have to succeed in order for the great bit, greater business to to succeed, and that gives you a much higher chance of failure. It also means that at early stages, as a CEO, you're going in there wearing two heads. So you've effectively got two different products, you've got two different route to markets, you've got two different value propositions, you've got two different customers. And you going in on any given day, and you have to switch between those those those, those products on a kind of like a uh, on a continual basis. Um, there are some advantages; they actually tend to be easier to scale, um, but they can be really tough to get started. Um, and it's I, I kind of liken it to uh, a black and white movie. You have one of those old cars, and uh, you know you, that needs to crank to start yeah. it up. Uh, um, you know the difficulty is getting it started, not keeping it running. Keeping it running is easy, but it, the difficulty is getting it going in the in in the first place.
0: Well, I mean, let's let's kind of refocus on on the building tech and getting technology sure. built, and let's talk about your your journey
1: with with Watt Clinic. So you are an engineer by trade, right? Not a coder. No. Oh, well, I mean, I, I mean, I'm I'm I'm. I'm a technologist, and I would have been more like a professional services person who came and designed solutions. Um, and I would have written the occasional line of code, um, but you know that would have only been in an emergencies, and frankly, I don't think any, ever was one of those committed to a product, or at least, hopefully, some actual engineer stripped it out and replaced it before it was committed to uh, uh, to, uh, to a project. But I have an appreciation for technology. Uh, but primarily, my passion is on the customer. Yeah. Um,
0: and I, I, we should come back to that, actually, because the the... the Presenting the company as being a place that developers want to work at and how you go about that is is, is an interesting there's a, there's a couple of interesting strategies there, especially as a startup. Uh, but just going back to Watch Linux for the moment, walk us through the the history and the journey there of how you uh, of how you built the tech. Yeah, how that happened from day one, uh, how you solved that particular challenge which a lot of our listeners have today.
1: So I think it's important to state that going in as a founder uh, to what clinic, I had already managed an engineering team before. Now, I had badly managed an engineering team, uh, and I had managed the engineering team at base Software. And... Uh, Thankfully, after I left, they got a professional engineering manager who did a much, much better job, a guy by the name of Paddy Benson. Um, But I at least knew what the job of a developer was. uh, And I was at the stage where I could have a reasonably intelligent conversation with the developer and understand the work that they were doing and the difficulties that they were having and the reasons why things might take longer than they would or not. So I was technically literate, although I wasn't uh, by any means Good. I was good enough that I could delegate, but I wasn't good enough to be able to uh, uh, to, to be able to do my uh, to do the job myself. And, and the very first thing I did at that time was I hired a my first developer who literally arrived in the country around six hours before I hired them. Um, uh, I recognized the fact that it was going to be really difficult for me to be able to compete in the open market for the skills that I needed. And so what I needed to do is I needed to be able to find a diamond in the rough. Um, yes. um, and so I hired someone. It was a Brazilian guy, a great guy, actually. He turned out to be one of our best employees, um, but he barely spoke English. Uh, uh, and he was in the country Six hours, and he needed a job, and I was able to move quicker and get in and get him uh, working long before he even interviewed for anyone else or even thought about interviewing for uh, uh, for for anyone else. Did you Uh, hire him as, as CTO, or was it just a sort of generic developer? No, I I, I didn't, uh, and I'm not saying that this is the the right approach or the wrong approach, but I I do notice that there is a trend lately to you know get that first technical talent in as CTO, and and that thought really never crossed my mind at the time. In my mind, uh, you know, the time for a CTO was when the company was actually much larger. It's kind of like. You know, I I in my viewpoint, I'm not saying I'm correct here, right? But like my viewpoint is 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 that the first financial person you hire isn't a CFO, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, uh you just need some invoices put out and and your accounts reconciled. Uh um, and you know, similarly, the first marketeer you hire isn't your CMO. Uh um and so the kind of idea that, you know, a a a three-person company would have a ceo a cfo and and a uh, cto kind of feels like nonsense to me it feels like someone's someone's at a party handing out titles um uh, yeah it's uh, but it does seem to be
0: the done thing these days I, I i mean my my what I often say to people who are trying to hire their first developer is if you hire the cto straight away well, that's effectively a co-founder, and then you have a whole different discussion. And if you're hiring a junior dev as a co-founder, a CTO, that's probably not the right way to go.
1: Yeah, because if you're genuinely hiring the talent that is capable of wearing the CTO title, then the only way you're getting them on board is with wads of equity. In which case, oh. they are they are your co-founder now at this stage. Uh, uh, um, but you know, non-technical non-technical uh, uh, founders tend to be reluctant to give away the wads of equity necessary to attract yeah. someone who's capable of holding, properly holding the CTO uh, uh, title.
0: Yeah. And that means that anybody who does take it for little or no equity isn't
1: right it, for the job. It, by definition, isn't right for the job. Like uh, You know, I mean, by definition, they're not right for the job unless they're taking wads of equity. I like this idea of
0: diamond in the rough, um, and that, that seems to be
1: the most effective strategy. But how do you find one? How do you find a diamond in the rough? Um, so, I, I mean, the first thing is 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 you, you, the thing about a diamond in the rough is is that it comes at a cost. It's not like it, um, like the the thing about a diamond in the rough is that you go through the rough, okay? <laughs> like you go and you, and you search for it. So, like. You've got to accept that uh, uh, your diamond in the rough is going to come with costs, and you've got to figure out what costs you're willing to pay. So with uh, um, uh, Rodrigo, my first Brazilian uh, developer, it was that uh, communication is going to be difficult. Uh, and I've accepted the fact that communication is going to be difficult, uh, and and I also and and that allows and because his English was bad, and my Portuguese was non-existent. And so just communicating was going to be difficult. and I was willing to pay that that kind of price. And I know that I stand a chance of getting this diamond in the rough because Google aren't going to be willing to pay that. well, they might have with multilingual teams, but you know the the larger companies are simply going to not be willing to pay that uh, that uh, that price. Um, and so, You've got to figure out well, what legwork you're willing to do. And that tells you then in terms of, of well, what what individual developer submarket you you're you're going after.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's uh, that's an that's an important point, right? The developer submarket, because there's one aspect which is managing developers, and we'll return to that in a minute. But in terms of presenting your company as it's kind of like a product. I know this is your real house, right? It's kind of, you're kind of productizing your company as a place to work for developers. Um, yeah. And it, putting the work in to define that uh, helps you go to the right niche, right?
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, you're, it, you're exactly right with the analogy, as it's just like building a, a product. And we all know this now through, um, through a lot of prior art that the idea of building a product for everyone is kind of nonsense you know you need to find out who which is the best market and then narrow that and narrow that and narrow that and build for a very specific market and then expand over uh, over time but the idea like of of launching tomorrow a streaming service that applies to everyone on the internet well you're going to lose against spotify every single time Right. Um, whereas you could conceivably, I don't know if this is true or not. I and mean, this isn't I, I possibly chose a terrible analogy. Um, you could possibly launch a streaming services that focuses on death metal. Right. And being the best death metal uh, streaming service. And you might be able to. Uh, compete against spotify against death metal fans right and do and do quite well there and once you've conquered that then you can move to the left and can move 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 to the right well it's the same thing with trying to get developers um uh trying to be an attractive place for developers to uh to work you could try and be an attractive place for the generic homogeneous, mythical developer that exists out there, right? In which case you're competing head-to-head with Google and head-to-head with Facebook, and you're going to lose every time to them because that's who they're trying to appeal to. And they have the scale and the breadth to be able to provide generically attractive place to work. Like Google has a swimming pool in its basement, right? You know, I mean, Absolutely. so they appeal to swimmers, right? They have canteens, so they appeal to everything that you could possibly do that Google does at least a good job uh, of uh, of doing that. So the idea of trying to compete on the generic field is is kind of a nonsense. And so right at the kind of early stage is you get to decide... Well, which kind of subcategory of, so if you're going to focus on developers who like ultimate be, pr- well, you better be near a playing pitch. Uh, if you're going to appeal to uh, developers who live in uh, South Wicklow, well, your office better be in South Wicklow. Um, um, so you get the kind of idea that I'm, I'm talking about here is is developers are such a large group. And there's every single subcategory within that group. And the idea of saying developers need or developers want is kind of a nonsense because you can't appeal on a broad uh, range. You have to focus on the type of developer that you want. And right at the very early stages, I'm not saying this is necessarily a good idea, but in what clinic, my my viewpoint is I am going to focus at the early stages is I am going to focus on people who have just landed in, in Ireland. I'm going to have a set of procedures that helps them get them their work permits i'm going to do whatever it takes for them in order to to uh uh to get them into the country if needs be i'm willing to put up with uh communication issues if i can get the technical talent that i uh, uh that i that i need and that worked for a while it worked very effectively for a while mm. but then as the company kind of scales you need to change that to a new uh um a new kind of uh subcategory
0: yeah and it does so do you mean is it related to your business
1: or do you choose some sort of tech technology niche um oh, I I I wouldn't be I'm not talking about choosing a technology niche I'm talking about choosing a kind of a, like a horizontal slice of developers uh um uh and so like if if you take um uh Um, people who are coming into the country, you get every technology skill in there, right? But you can target people who have just landed in the country, right? They all go to the same forums, right? They all ask the same questions in the same public spaces. They all go to the same meetings, right? They all appear at English language, free English language classes that, you know, the list goes. It's really easy to target that, uh, uh, that kind of group where and yes, you can uh, target, uh, you know, to say artificial intelligence. They all hang up in one in in one place as well. But I'm not talking about doing that. I'm talking about how do you find a diamond in the rough? And you find a diamond in the rough by focusing on more of a horizontal slice. There is no magic formula. It's it's put the put the hard yards in and work. Uh, yeah it is yeah. And all of these there's there's nothing there's no free lunch. You know, all of these things comes comes with cost. They all come with effort, and they all come with consequences. And uh, you know, there's no kind of like magic bu- uh, bullet there.
0: Let's talk about the other thing that has founders tearing their hair out, and um, this applies to non-technical and technical founders is managing developers. Um, you built this developer team, middle developer team. You're you're iterating on your MVP, um, and as you said yourself, you know, you, you had you had some prior experience. Managing developers, um, but a lot of people would not have. Uh, how do you go about getting the best out of that team? Okay, so uh, okay. That's, 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 people have written books on this, right? And you've got like two
1: minutes, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> <I>, um, <laughs> look, I, I, I think for me, it's exactly the, the mistakes that people make in managing developers are exactly the same as the mistakes they make in developing or managing anything else. Um, uh, and an awful lot of that is uh is down to um uh providing feedback far too late. Um so you can imagine uh if you have a sales team and you kind of go, say to your sales team is come back to me in three months' time and tell me how much how much sales you've made, right? And like what of a nonsense, everyone knows instinctively what kind of a nonsense of management style that would be for managing a a sales team. And yet somehow, inexperienced founders of technology teams think that's an appropriate way of managing a technology team. In particular, I see this all the time with outsourced technology teams. They go, they get a firm, the firm comes back and says, yep, it's going to cost 25,000 euros, and we'll have it ready in three months' time and the founder there sits there and waits to the end of the three months time and lo and behold they're disappointed with what's uh, what's given to them in three months time um and and it's it's obvious when you talk about it in terms of another department you'd never do that with sales you'd never do that with marketing you'd never do that with any other department and yet for some reason founders think it's an appropriate way to manage a, a development team and so it's It's not a question of micromanagement because you because you're not skilled enough to be able to tell someone what to do. It's a matter of making sure that there is constant uh, uh, awareness of what's being done, and constant feedback, and constant changes of constant micro changes in focus. Because when you start, even though you think you know what you do, the very second that coding starts to be written, you're always always being brought in a very slightly uh, different direction, and every minute that you don't, or every, sorry, minute, is, is every day that you don't redirect that is 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 a further uh, kilometre you've gone in the wrong direction.
0: Yeah, it's, um, I have to, uh, having been a developer myself in previous lives, I've often felt that um, some people have a mental model of development that's quite similar to accounting, um, where you put all your receipts in a shoebox and you come back two months later with a tax return. Um, and it it feels like sometimes that approach is taken because both both subjects are are extremely technical, and you don't really want to know the details. yeah, but I, I mean,
1: I've got to say here, Richard, like a, any technology business that is doing that with their accounts, they should be taken <laughs> out and shot. you know <laughs> I, I, I mean, accounts can be a very effective way of managing a business. But if you're putting your receipts in a shoebox, that's trying to—that's the equivalent of trying to cook using your smoke alarm to tell you that your toast is done. Right. So,
0: I mean, I think the learning for me from that is that you start a business, you're a founder, you've got to know the basics of accounting, and you've got to be able to have a sensible, reasonably technical discussion with your accountant.
1: The Absolutely. same mental model
0: should apply to your tech.
1: Uh, yeah you're 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 absolutely spot on here yeah like if we took a founder and and the founder kind of said is 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 I uh, know I don't I don't understand how payroll is is got is done and really I don't know how much money is in my bank account and I'm not going to learn <laughs> We'd kind of say, mm, "Well, I'm not investing in you, uh, and really, I'm not. I'm not really going to waste any more of my time talking to you because you've just disqualified yourself from being an effective C- uh, CEO." Exactly the same way applies to a non-technical founder who says, "Well." I'm just going to wash, I'm going to try and wash all responsibility off of this by outsourcing it entirely to the CTO and that, and he's going to talk a language that I don't understand and I'm never going to learn how to talk to him effectively. Well, you've kind of eliminated yourself from being a CEO of a technology company.
0: And, um, oh, it pains me to say it, but really Steve Jobs is kind of the archetype here, isn't he, right? Non-technical, but got just got stuck in there, you know in the tech and added tons of value
1: yeah uh, yeah and I think that's uh, kind of a, a, a both a good example and an awful example yeah. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> uh, uh, don't go there don't go there yeah, yeah exactly yeah let's not go there
0: uh, yeah and I, so I, I mean I think that's uh, I think that the, we'll kind of wrap it up there I think there's there's a bunch of, of kind of useful advice there I think the uh, diamond in the rough analogy and having that as a tactic. For finding that initial that initial those initial set of technical skills and technical people um, is a really great idea because it gets to the heart of the fact that you can't compete with Google. You can't even compete with a with a fifty person consultancy that has a ton of other developers and a ping pong table.
1: Um, right It's it, it, yeah, you, you can't be fishing in the same pool as everyone else. you've got to go you got to go fish in a smaller a small uh, a smaller pool. Um, mind you that's what I, I I'm I'm working under the assumption here that y- you're cash constrained. Uh I, I mean if you're not cash constrained, well, cash can answer a lot of things, you know, and, and you can as much as you know, it really does pain me to say it, and it really does, but you can just go give uh um a good recruiter a stack of money and um you know be prepared to pay top dollar. Um and you can probably get. Developers that uh, that way, but you really need to be extraordinarily well capitalized.
0: Yeah, and that brings a whole bunch of other problems. Um, I mean, the, the you can hire people uh, out of the large companies, out of the Googles and SAVs and all that sort of stuff, but they may not be suitable for startups.
1: Oh yeah, that's that's totally correct. Yeah, you really don't want to be. Uh, a lot of time you see, and, and actually, a lot of time I see this happening with really senior talent, talent at kind of the next stage of the company. Is they companies go right? It's time to scale. We need to hire a CTO or a head of sales, right? And they go to and they hire them out of uh, one of the big American companies, and they come in and they're totally incapable of operating with your environment. They need a support team of six people in order to do anything. Yeah, um, uh, and they break your company in the process of doing it. It's so a really common reason why companies go bust, is they hire talent that can't do the job today, but can do the job in two years' time, and you, the company dies waiting for the, this person to actually be able to do anything.
0: Yeah, it, it is, and that's <laughs> having having a lot of money or a lot of funding is is not uh, not it's not all good. Uh, unfortunately, you can make bigger mistakes faster. Um, as I have yeah. discovered myself in, in, in various uh, other lives. Cailin, thank you so much. Uh, this has been absolutely wonderful. And um, hopefully uh, hopefully, we managed to help one or two founders get over the hump. Well, I hope there was some value in there, Richard. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Thank you very much. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. You can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on our podcast page at voxgig.com slash podcast. Subscribe for weekly editions where we talk to the people who make the developer community work. For even more, read our newsletter. You can subscribe at voxgig.com newsletter or follow
1: our Twitter at VoxGig. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.